Well, good morning. Such a joy to be able to worship with you this morning. Uh, my name is Ryan. I'm one of the pastors here at City Church, and uh, it's great to just see you with us this morning. And as uh, Pat read uh, for us, um, we are continuing in our study in the book of Joshua, although he was reading in 1 Peter. Um, you may be wondering the parallel between those two, but we are looking at um, the reality of the promises of God and what he has promised to us and the security that we have in those promises and how it changes um, the way we live. If you've not been with us previously, if you're a guest here this morning, uh, we uh, at City Church, it's our practice to most often the time sort of work our way through books of the Bible. And we've been working our way through the book of Joshua. And up until chapter 11 that we looked at last week, we have seen God moving and leading his people into this promised land, a territory that he had promised to give to them by Abraham, their forefather, long ago in the past. And they've been making their way into this territory. They've had battles that they have faced. They have had challenges, of course, many things that have gotten in the way, a lot of lessons learned. And as we look now at um, chapter 14, we're going to skip a little bit ahead. We're going to look closely at chapter 14, but really all of chapters 13 through 19 describe the fulfillment of the promises that he's made and all that they've been going through and dealing with is so that they would take possession of what is described in Joshua chapters 13 through 19. So because you're, yes, you're thinking, man, he's going to cover a lot of text. Just, and all the regular attenders are really nervous right now. Um, but just, just know we're not going to go through all of that. We are going to look closely at chapter 14, which is, in some senses, it's a little bit of a microcosm, or it's a smaller piece of the story that illustrates the larger story and all that is happening and is described in chapters 13 through 19. Let's pray and ask the Lord's help in this. Holy Spirit, we do pray that you would open up our hearts and minds to hear from you. I pray for your help that you might speak through me, you might move me out of the way, you would increase as I decrease, so we might be able to marvel at the goodness of our God. And we might be reminded of what you have secured for us, Jesus. That inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, and kept for us by you. I pray that that would call us and propel us forward in life secured by your security. We pray these things in your holy name. Amen. If you have ever purchased a piece of property or own a piece of land, you might know that you have a deed of trust, a legal document that tells you that you own the land. And on that deed, if you look closely at it, there are some descriptors of that. Uh, a lot of numbers, latitude and longitude, sort of that mark out from point to point to point to point so that anyone who asks, do you legally own this property? Are you able to do? You'd be able to kind of demonstrate and show them uh, this piece of paper. Um, just this week, the nation of Israel came under attack, and I don't mean a military attack, but sort of the idea of the nation of Israel existing at all was uh, proposed. There was a group that said that they shouldn't have a nation. A nation uh, established and created just for this religious people didn't make sense to them, and so there was some attack that was brought upon that. And as we think about these things and understand uh, all that is going on, there's so many layers of history and so many things that is, I don't have enough time to unpack all of that, but as we look at Joshua chapter 13 and 14, one of the things that we could say if we peeled the onion all the way back on why Israel has the land that they possess 
It's recorded in Joshua 13 through 19. Uh, between now and the big game, I want to just, your, your assignment is to read 13 through 19. And all of those names of cities and the boundaries and the markers that set out the promised land. Um, now, as you read that, you're thinking to yourself, why is this in the Bible? Why do we have this long chapter after chapter after chapter of landmarks and of cities that we don't really understand? Their names are a little bit strange to us. Well, the reason is, is because Israel had been promised this land by God, by their forefather Abraham. And this text is what they would hold up as their, in, a, in some senses, their deed of trust. They would say, this is what tells us that the land that we have been given by God is our land. And they have it in God's word recorded that this is the land that they possess. So we see now, as we've walked through the first 11 chapters of this book together, and we've seen all of these battles, the joy that we get to step into in this morning's text is we get to see the fulfillment of the promises of God. See, God didn't just make these promises to them. He didn't just say all of these things. He didn't just lead them into these battles, lead them to conquer Jericho, lead to them into the fall of Ai. And you remember some of these city names that we've talked about before and all of the challenges and the overcoming of the sinfulness of some of their men who didn't do what God had told them. He didn't lead them through all of those trials just to not fulfill the promise that he'd made to them. No, he did all of that so that he could give them what he promised. And they're holding on to that promise. They have a tight grip on that promise, and that promise is what led them to obedience and faithfulness as they stepped into all of these challenges. Well, in chapter 14, we're going to look closely at verses 6 and following. We see, as I said, just a small story that sort of helps illustrate all that I'm discussing and we're talking about here. So we pick up in Joshua chapter 14, beginning in verse 6, we meet a young man named Caleb. Then the people of Judah came to Joshua at Gilgal, and Caleb, the son of Jephunneh, Jephunneh sorry, and the, the I can't speak this morning. We're going to just start over. And Caleb, the son of Jephunneh, the Kenizzite, said to him, You know what the Lord said to Moses, the man of God at Kadesh Barnea, concerning you and me. I was 40 years old when Moses, the servant of the Lord, sent me from Kadesh Barnea to spy out the land, and I brought him word again as it was in my heart. But my brothers who went up with me made the heart of the people met. Yet I wholly followed the Lord my God. And Moses swore on that day, saying, Surely the land on which your foot has trodden shall be an inheritance for you and your children forever, because you have wholly followed the Lord my God. And now behold, the Lord has kept me alive. This is Caleb speaking. Now behold, the Lord has kept me alive, just as he said these 45 years since the time that the Lord spoke this word to Moses while Israel walked in the wilderness. And now behold, I am this day 85 years old. I'm still as strong today as I was in the day of Moses that Moses sent me. My strength now is as my strength was then for war and for going out and coming. So now give me this hill country of which the Lord spoke on that day. For you heard on the, the, the day how Anakim were there, the Anakim were there with great fortified cities. It may be said that the Lord will be with me and I shall drive them out just as the Lord had said. Then Joshua blessed him and he gave him Hebron to Caleb, the son of Jephunneh, the Kenizzite. To this day, 
or excuse me, for an inheritance. Therefore, Hebron became the inheritance of Caleb, the son of Jephunneh the Kenizzite, to this day, because he wholly followed the Lord, the God of Israel. So, Caleb comes to Joshua, and he asks, makes this claim on this piece of property. We can kind of picture even a little bit Caleb, perhaps. It's great that Caleb did the introduction or the welcome this morning, and now we have the story of Caleb. That's Lord's providence over uh, uh, all the events of our church. Isn't that neat to see? But anyhow, so Caleb is walking around on this territory. They've sort of been making their way, and he understands that now that these wars have taken place and the land is there, he's starting to figure out how he's going to turn this into his homestead. Have you ever walked on a piece of property and you thought, oh, wouldn't it be nice? We'd have a house over there. We kind of do this. Look at the trees. Look at the view. We can just imagine Caleb sort of just basking in the joy of, I am now going to, after 45 years of waiting, going to take hold of, and I'm going to have what the Lord had promised me. Now, if you're wondering where this all came and why Caleb had claim to this land, you have to go back to Numbers. All right, in the book of Numbers, we see this is when, if you might remember when we started this story, this book, that Joshua or Moses had sent Joshua and a representative from every tribe of Israel to go and scout out the promised land. And so they go cross the river Jordan and they see all that is there in the land. They see the land that is flowing with milk and honey, but they also saw the people of the Anakim, which were great warriors and people that would stand against them. And with Joshua on that journey was Caleb. Caleb and Joshua were the two that came back. And if we flip over to Numbers 14, we will see what happened. See, the people, they hear that all of the spies that went over in the first place, they come back in verse 13, and they say to Moses, we can't go over there. They've got giants, they will kill us, they will surely destroy us. There's no way that we can take this promised land. It's not possible for us to do that. We're going to have to figure something else out. Surely God got it wrong. They even cry out to Moses, we would have been better just to die in Egypt. We would have been better just to die as we wandered in the wilderness than to try and go over there and die over there. That's how scared they are. Then Moses, excuse me, in verse 14, then all the congregation uh, this is chapter 14, verse 1 of Numbers. Then all the congregation raised a loud cry, and the people wept that night. This is them. All the people of Israel grumbled against Moses and Aaron. The whole congregation said to them, Would that we had died in the land of Egypt, or that we had died in the wilderness. Why is the Lord bringing us into this land, what, just to fall by the sword? Our wives and our little ones will become prey. Would it not have been better for us to go back to Egypt? And they said to one another, Let us choose a new leader to go take us back to Egypt. And then Moses and Aaron fell on their faces before all the assembly and the congregation of the people of Israel. And Joshua, the son of Nun, and Caleb, the son of Jephunneh, who were among those who had spied out the land, tore their clothes. They're grieved by what they're seeing in their people. And they said to all the congregation of the people of Israel, the land which we passed through to spy it out is exceedingly good land. If the Lord delights in us, he will bring us into this land and give it to us, a land that flows with milk and honey. Only do not rebel against the Lord and do not fear the people of the land, for they are bread for us. Their protection is removed from them, and the Lord is with us. Do not fear them. Then all the congregation said to stone them with stones. But the glory of the Lord appeared at the tent of meeting of all the people of Israel. So Joshua and Caleb, two faithful brothers that said, if the Lord delights in us, he is with us, then we must go in, we will go in, and nothing will stand against us. He will give us the land that he has promised to us. And how does the congregation, all of the people of Israel, they respond by wanting to stone these two 
for their faithfulness and for their obedience. But what happened in that story is that God said to Caleb, because of your faithfulness, I will give you this territory. And now, 45 years later, Caleb is coming to Joshua and saying, I've been waiting, I've been biding my time, I've been doing all that God has called me to do, now it's time for you to give me what the Lord promised to me through Moses. See, when Caleb went into the land, he saw clearly all of the same things that the other spies saw. You notice that Caleb, back in that Numbers story, he didn't say to them, no, there aren't those people there. There aren't the enemies there. No, they're not that big. He didn't try to sort of downplay the problem. You know, don't we often do that when we see a challenge? Uh, Those of us that are kind of wired for positivity and, you know, we're just like, ah, it's it's not going to be that bad. There's really no issues there. We can cross that river. We can do whatever we want, you know, because we're strong enough. No, that's not what Caleb did. He didn't deny any of the challenges that faced them. He said, but the Lord is surely with us. He has promised us what he is going to do. If the Lord delights in us, he will bring us into this land and give it to us. Caleb His vision, in a sense, the lens through which he saw his world was completely transformed and changed by the promises that God had made to him, what he knew of God's character. Notice also, he doesn't downplay the challenges that face them. He also doesn't appeal to his own or Israel's ability to defeat them. He doesn't say, yeah, they're not that big. They aren't going to be that big of a problem. It's going to be tough. He also doesn't say, hey, yeah, they're going to be tough, but but our armies are better. We'll we'll be able to take care of them with no problem. He doesn't appeal at all to that. He doesn't appeal even to his own faithfulness in the Lord and to what he has done. What he appeals to, what changed the way that he looked at everything that he faced was the promises that God had made to him. If the Lord delights in us, he will bring us into this land. He's promised us that he will do this. Before he ever takes one foot into the land and there's any military action, he says their protection has been removed from them because the Lord is with us. Because of what he understood God had said, he understood the promises that God had made him, it guided him completely. And when he saw these enemies of God, these great giants, these warriors, He didn't see a people to be feared. He didn't have anxiousness in his heart over that. He trusted the Lord. He had confidence in the Lord. And so, isn't it amazing what holding on to the promises of God will do for us? How it changes our very perspective. The way we see the world differently when we remember that. Further, because of what he knew God had promised him and what God had said to him, for 45 years, he had waited on this promise. And every decision that he made had been guided by that promise. You can tell with the boldness. He says to Joshua, hey, Joshua, and they're old friends. They were the two that had gone in and spied. And so I think he could probably have some pretty direct conversation with Josh. He said, yeah, you remember that conversation me and you and Moses had way back in the day? Yeah, it's time. Uh, so uh, I'm going to go ahead and take my land. Cool? Cool. That's the... Ross translation. (laughs) But every decision for 45 years was based on that. 
You know, one of the problems of the prosperity gospel, amongst many other things that it offers, is that it teaches us to think that we say something to the Lord, and if we do something right in the face of the Lord, that he is then called to just immediately respond to us and somehow pour out blessing over us, or that we sort of, we force God's hand into doing things. And that's not the truth of the gospel. That's not what we find anywhere in the Bible. We see a man here, Caleb, who was promised something by God and had to wait for 45 years for God to fulfill that promise, had to go into many battles, had to face many challenges, saw his people, some of them killed, all of these sorts of things, waiting on the Lord, but always remaining steadfast that God would deliver on his promises. In our immediate society and our need for wanting it right now, that's part of the reason that that false gospel in some ways has flourished in our culture because we find it, it answers the problem of, I want this now, yes, if I do this, then God will respond and give me this. And that's not what we see. Faithful obedience and the decisions that he made in his life were directed by holding on to the promises that God had made for him. Every decision clearly had been rooted in that promise. He's gone into battle. Even though he knows this is the land that God has promised him, he's gone to war with his brothers because he's sure that as he does all that he's been told to do and is obedient to the Lord, that God will preserve his life and will deliver on his promise. It leads us to a question that is worth asking of each and every one of us. What guides us? As you make decisions in life, as you come to every daily circumstance, you think to yourself, I'm going to go this way or that way. I'm going to have this conversation or that conversation. I'm going to respond in this way or that way. What, is, what informs that? What lenses do you see the world through? Your circumstances. Do you see them through the lens of what God has promised to us? The promises that he's made to us? When we started this book all the way back in chapter 1, we hammered this over and over again because it was just so clear. Joshua was told to be strong and courageous, but that followed. The strength and courage that he was called to live with followed God making a promise to him. We, all, we said, it's the promise that comes first, the command that comes later. Promise, then command. We talked about, you might remember if you were with us in that time, that sometimes we get that inverted. Many of us perhaps have grown up in a culture, you know, even within churches where it's been, the focus has been on the commands. And your thought about Christ or about the Lord or God or religion or any of that is, do this and don't do that. Do this and don't do that. That's not... What we see here, that's not what is pictured in all of this book. It's, I promise, God says, this is my promise to you, Joshua. I will be with you. I will lead you. I will give you this land. No, is it going to be easy? No, nope. there's going to be people who oppose you. There's going to be people who oppose you outside, people who oppose you inside. All of those things, but I will be with you. So, based on what I've told you, be strong and courageous. For Caleb, based on what I have told you, Caleb, I said that I would give you this land, and Caleb is now living and making decisions rooted on what he knows to be true about God. So often, one of our great challenges in this post-Christian nation and really the post-Christian world that we live in is that our circumstances and the situations that we face is what dictates our response. 
Can you imagine being able to respond and navigate the world in such a way that the things that you faced, even on a daily basis, did not impact the trajectory or the direction or the cadence of your life? Because you were so sure about the promises that God made to you and you held on to those things so tightly and you understood how tightly God held on to you that you didn't have to waver in that no matter what came your way. This is what it means to understand the promises that God has made us. And that's where our vision, the lenses that we see our life through are changed by the gospel. What you heard Brother Pat read for us in 1 Peter chapter 3. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, according to his great mercy, has caused us to be born again. He has done it to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ, through what Christ did, laying down his life, taking it up again, the resurrection from the dead. What? To an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, unfading, kept in heaven for you. That is the promise of God for your life. If you are in Christ, You have an imperishable, undefiled, unfading inheritance waiting for you, and it's kept for you by God. And so every single thing, no matter what it is that you face, there's literally, there is not one single thing that could happen to you today, tomorrow, the next day, next year, 20, 30, or even 45 years from now that will ever change what Christ has secured for you. That is our inheritance, brothers and sisters. That is what he has promised us. Now, with that knowledge of what I have in Christ and that it is cannot change, it will not diminish, it will not drop, it won't fluctuate with the markets. Now decisions in the way we lead our lives, the relationships that we have are changed. We see this also in Caleb's story as he describes how long he has waited for 45 years. Now many of us haven't even been lived for 45 years. Can you imagine waiting for 45 years? At the same time, I know there are many of you brothers and sisters in the room that have been waiting on the Lord for some period of time, something that you're asking the Lord to do, something that you're holding on to. But endurance, Caleb's endurance, came from his understanding of what God had promised him. And yet, guess what? He has to fight for it. Isn't it amazing that as God makes this promise to Caleb, you're going to have this land and this is what I'm going to give to you. He doesn't then just say, okay, so you can just kind of go set up your lawn chair over there and everybody else will kind of be going about their battles, but you know, you, you've got your little plot of land figured out. No, he has to fight for it. And that's why he describes, by the way, he has to still fight for it, which is why he says to Joshua, in some supernatural way, the Lord has preserved my strength. I'm just as strong today as I was 45 years ago. Only a few of you will get this reference, but, but Caleb was the original Uncle Drew. He went out to the court, looked like an old man, looked like he wasn't going to hang, and he would school those boys, showing them up. He could do anything. He was strong, and what he's telling to Joshua is, I'm still as strong today as I was 45 years ago, so the battle that's still there, those people that still are on my land, guess what? I'll be able to take care of them. Don't you worry about me, Joshua. And I'll be able to take care of them because God has promised me that I'll be able to take care of them. And he's preserved my strength in order to do that. Clearly, God has given 
Caleb this spiritual blessing of uh, endurance. And it's a particular blessing in this moment in time. That's not something that we all get, but this is, he, he did this in accomplishing his story of redemption for Caleb. But there's a lesson here. See, the source of Caleb's strength was an undivided heart. His endurance to hold on and to continue stepping into the promises that God had made him was a result of having an undivided heart that was fully devoted to the Lord, fully the Lord's. If we look back at 1 Peter and connect some of the dots to the New Covenant and the New Testament and the promise that we have through Christ, it says in verse 5 that by God's power, Our inheritance is being guarded through faith for a salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. We're not going to see it all right now. In this you rejoice, though now for a little while, guess what? If necessary, you have been grieved by various trials. Those trials, they grieve you. They they do cause real pain and sometimes even suffering. But guess what? They are necessary. I love and I... Greatly don't enjoy those two words, if necessary. Because I think to myself, I don't really, it's not really that necessary, Lord. Can we just kind of skip past the trials, skip past the challenges? But no, those things are necessary because they test our faith and they reveal to us the perseverance of the faith. How do you know that God will keep you and has kept for you this undefiled promise forever and ever, because he's kept you in the face of a trial today. We might see all of these things, and I can't, again, I say this very often, obviously we we empathize and my heart grieves the brokenness of this world, and I know each and every one of us has various things that we're facing, challenges that we're facing, trials that you may be walking through in this very moment. But here's the miracle, here's the beauty of what we can know by those trials. You're still here. You're still alive. You're still worshiping Jesus. Guess what? That didn't happen because you're better or you figured it out or you cracked the code. That's because Christ has kept you. And your faith is being revealed to be able to endure and to to even walk through these trials. And as you walk through these trials and you see that Christ remains steadfast and faithful and his grip on you is not lost, Guess what? You become more bold and understanding. Yes, he will see me through this. And so the promise of 1 Peter is, yes, we're going to be grieved by trials so that our faith would be tested and we would find that that faith is what is more precious than gold. That though it is tested by fire, it does not perish. This is where Caleb's endurance came from. Sometimes we might be tempted to think Hey, I've got this promise secured for me. I've got this land that's been promised to me as Caleb, and I know that it's mine. I don't have, so I don't need to go into the battle. I don't need to have any of the trials. I'll just sort of sit there. We think it's time just kind of, we might turn into fat Thor. We're just going to sit back and kind of relax. Don't need to do anything. Y'all need to go watch uh, Avengers, by the way, if you missed that one. But anyway. No, we don't just sit back. We don't do nothing. We don't, we don't just say, hey, the Lord's got it. I'm done. He's made this promise. Paul addressed this many times. 
so that just grace might abound so we can just see the Lord. No, we press into what God has called us to. We step forward in faithful obedience and endurance even in the face of trials. But we remember the promise that he's made to us. Even when it's hard, we remember what he said. A few years ago, I lost my mom. She had received a little inheritance from her father that she then passed on to me. Guess what? Makes very little impact on my life. Markets go up and down, right? I don't know if that's touched anyone this week or month. It's been kind of ups and downs, right? Crazy. Whatever. All those things of the world, guess what? No matter the value, they will turn to dust. Everything that we can see will be no more. What will endure is what Christ has secured for us. A promise, an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, and unfading. Kept by him through his power for us. This is what we remember even as we face trials. This is what prompts us to keep pressing forward in life even when it gets hard in obedience Now, as we come to this story and begin to wrap up a little bit, we would be tempted, sometimes we're often tempted, I think, to think, where am I in this story? We've talked about this before. We want to be Joshua. (laughs) Or maybe here we want to be Caleb. A couple weeks ago, last week, we didn't want to be Pharaoh, even that's who we are. (laughs) We We try to find our place in the story. But what Peter says in the first chapter that we read, what Paul says in Ephesians chapter 1, and what Caleb does here is he addresses the Lord over and over again. Look at verse 10. And now, behold, the Lord has kept me alive just as he said. The Lord is who is glorified. So now give me, in verse 12, This hill country of which the Lord spoke on that day. First Peter, blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Ephesians chapter 1, almost the exact same language Paul says, blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing. See, it's the Lord who gets the glory in this. As he preserves us and holds us and secures for us and ultimately delivers us into our great inheritance, it is the Lord who is glorified. And that undivided heart that Caleb had, the fruit of that was that God received glory through his life. God was glorified as he took hold of what he had promised him. And God is glorified in our lives and will be glorified in our lives as we remember the inheritance that has been purchased for us and is undefiled, unfading, and will be secured. It's all according to his great mercy. He's blessed us with every spiritual blessing, Ephesians says. He's given us this inheritance And holiness in our lives starts with what the Lord has done. It's a work that he has done. 
And so we can charge in, we press into even these trials, these challenges that we face, the hard things of life. We press into those things, trusting the promises of God. We've talked just recently, it's Valentine's Day tomorrow, I believe, guys. Um, and uh, just that was my PSA for you. And um, we had a couple's night on Friday night, a really fun time. Talked about Valentine's and, you know, just kind of relationships. But we, we highlighted in our re-engage ministry. We've talked a lot about the marriage ministry here at our church. And guess what we do in that ministry? What is sort of taught to us, what we walk through together in these small groups? We remember the promises of God and we apply them to our marriages. That's what happens. We remember what God has promised us. We remember who we are through him and in him. And then as a result of that, we live our lives differently. I now see my wife, understand my responsibility as a husband, my role in all of those things differently because of what God has promised me, even when it's hard, even when it's challenging. Maybe it's your neighbor's. Challenges or opportunities abound and conversations that need to be had with friends or coworkers or everything. We step into those conversations, even sometimes when they might be messy or hard in obedience, just as Caleb stepped in and he went engaged in all the battles. He did that in obedience because his heart was fully given to the Lord, trusting in the promises that God had made him. We're going to have a City Church 101, which is guests, if you're curious about our church, you want to know a little bit about our story, our history, or any of those types of things, right after this service, we're going to have lunch, and we'll tell you that story. Some of us are sort of been holding back and not really pressing in to engaging in the local church, whether it's this church or any church. Again, this is, we, we, we want you to be engaged in a church, a gospel Bible teaching church. If City Church is the church for you, engage and press in and, and, and get involved in the ministry of this church and involved in all that we're doing here because you're trusting in the Lord to deliver on the promise and you trust that his church is a means for that. Whatever it is, as we step into lives, we live our lives, what guides us, what gives us vision to see what God has called us to, what gives us endurance to just keep pressing forward in all of the challenges of life is what God has promised, the inheritance that is surely ours. So as we close, let me read 1 Peter one more time. I'm going to give you a pass. You don't have to study chapters 13 through 19. Just meditate this afternoon on this verse. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. According to His great mercy... His great mercy, not our works, not what we have done, not our holding up the right versus the wrong, not our choosing any of those things. According to His great mercy, in spite of our sinfulness, He caused us to be born again. And as we were born again, as we were given new life, this new life is a life with living hope. Living hope. Not a dead hope, not just remembering something in our past. Sometimes we take action, we think, well, I remember that was something that happened and I'm gonna live based on, no, this is a living hope that we get to experience every moment of every day because it's a living hope that was given to us, secured for us through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. And that living hope, guess what it is? It's an inheritance. 
an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, and unfading, kept in eternity in heaven for you, kept through the firm grip of Christ. It's kept for you. Now imagine living all of your life, understanding that that is yours. What circumstance? We say it often in this church. What do we have? If death can't kill us, then what do we have to fear? The worst we have to fear is death. And if, if this is our inheritance, this eternal, everlasting life in Christ, if that's ours, then what would we be, what circumstance could we face in this life that would cause us to lose sight of that? It would say, no, that's, that's no longer your inheritance. It's no longer yours. There's nothing. The beauty of what Christ has secured for us is he has secured for us the means of a heart that is fully devoted to him and lives in total obedience to him. Because we aren't worried about the circumstances of life. We're not worried about this way or that way. We're worried about pursuing the Lord and being obedient to the Lord. What an amazing gift he has given us, kept in heaven for us by God's power. We are being guarded through faith for a salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. What an amazing thing. Let's respond to the Lord. Let's sing of his great faithfulness to us. Thanks for listening to the preaching of God's word at City Church Melissa. We meet Sunday mornings at 9 and 1045 a.m. at 2300 Vineyard Hill Lane, and we hope to see you there soon. City Church Melissa for the glory of God and the good of the city.